0: Business Minds, a presentation of the Texas Business Journals, brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. In this episode, Managing Editor Rob Schneider welcomes the Dallas Business Journal's most inspiring leaders of 2020.
1: COVID-19 created a disruptive 2020 for all of North Texas and our business community. In November, the Dallas Business Journal created a new award, Most Inspiring Leaders, to honor the companies and leaders that courageously led the region through our ongoing healthcare crisis and the economic devastation that followed. Today, in the second installment of this podcast, we will hear more of our honoree stories. Elizabeth Rach, CFO for the City of Dallas, learned a lot of lessons quickly when COVID hit. She had the dual responsibilities of wanting to take care of her employees and the community in a time of crisis. She also had to prioritize CARES Act funding given to the city because that money came with an expiration date. And while this year's fiscal budget is balanced, she's concerned about the next fiscal budget and potential shortfalls with sales tax revenue and potentially property tax revenue as well.
2: I think we learned a lot during the process it was so fast the uh, you know the shutdown of the city the stay-at-home orders all came very quickly and so my experience was both wanting to take care of my employees and also wanting to take care of the community in a time of crisis that's when the community relies on government really more than any other time and so at the time we were really being looked to for guidance, for service, for help, And we needed to keep our employees safe, so my role was really um, where I had employees who could work from home, making sure that they could do that. Where I had employees who had to come in, for example, I supervise fleet management. Mechanics can't work on a sanitation truck from home, so they were at work making sure they had the protective gear that we had disinfectants and cleaning going on, Um, but at the same time thinking through what is the community needing, how can we quickly get help to the community. You know, prioritizing a budget is difficult in the best of situations because everybody has a a different thought about what they think is most important or what to spend the money on. And so, in a crisis, um, it becomes really urgent that you quickly understand everybody's needs, their requests, and in the case of CARES funding, which expires at the end of December, What can we deploy very quickly? We needed to get money out into the economy, out into the community very quickly. So that was also a factor. So we took all of our requests together and we said, okay, let's focus first on medical. What do we need to do to provide testing, to provide personal protective equipment for first responders, to provide sheltering for homeless, and social distancing for homeless shelters? What do we need to do to think about the fact that there might be therapeutics or a vaccine to come for the community, and what should we put aside for that? What kinds of prevalence testing could we do to assist the medical community with understanding COVID-19? So I'd say that was the the first focus were the medical pieces. And then secondly, looking at community assistance from rent, mortgage, utility assistance to many other types of assistance for organizations, for nonprofits, food assistance, food security, childcare in particular. We've seen uh, really the collapse of of a childcare industry, which is critical to enabling people to be at work. And so making sure that we were investing in those areas. And then finally, making sure we were continuing to deliver services. As I said, you know, in the government, when everybody else is is looking one way, we're often, you know, running straight into whatever that crisis may be. And so continuing to deliver those services, particularly our first responder services, was something that we were focused on. You know, balancing a city budget is always difficult. And when you have a revenue shortfall, uh, it becomes even more difficult. So in this particular recession, what we saw was immediate, deep deep recession. It showed up immediately in our sales tax revenue in April. And that was a significant hit uh, to the city. But where we have a lagging indicator is in property taxes. So we still do not know what will happen with property values in the city of Dallas or our property tax revenue. So we not only had to deal with the immediate sales tax hit, but we need to plan for potential disruptions or reductions in property tax values leading to a hit in our property. Property taxes and so that's really the challenge that we're facing it's not a challenge we're facing this year FY21 the one we're currently in we've balanced our budget we had over 62 million dollars less in revenue than we had planned to have but we we balanced the budget focusing again on maintaining services but had to make a few cuts and did that effectively so we're, we're okay for FY21 where I am looking to and thinking will be a challenge is FY22. And we'll see what happens with property taxes, but Dallas is strong. We see the demand in Dallas strong for real estate, corporate relocations coming to Dallas. I have great hope that we actually will not see a property value decrease and in fact may see it hold steady or increase. And I think that that will be yet to be seen, but is very possible because Dallas is such a strong economy and has those foundational elements.
1: Byron Sanders, president and CEO of nonprofit Big Thought, said COVID hasn't necessarily created new problems as much as it's exposed and exacerbated existing ones. Big Thought initially helped during the crisis by offering childcare to frontline healthcare workers. He tells us of how that process came together for his employees and the community it serves.
3: When there was an expected surge earlier on uh, in the year. One of the things that we knew was going to be needed was childcare. This was back when the schools were closed and everybody was remote. Well, our frontline workers in the healthcare industry and the healthcare sectors, as we started to see the counts go up, you started to see shifts become longer. You had more people on call, more people on deck and they still needed solutions for their children. So when we were asking, our frontline healthcare workers to stay on the front lines, somebody needed to be looking out for them. And our team, uh, in particular, in Big Thought, we have a team doing our after-school work. It's called Thriving Minds. Uh, James Adams, Lucretia Malone, Kendall Pigeon. We had some phenomenal leadership step up and innovate. Now, this was during a time where no one really knew how to do socially distant in-person learning yet. These innovators, these creators came together and built an entire program from scratch that would start at six in the morning and go to 7 p.m. at night. We had two shifts of uh, team members who raised their hand and volunteered um, for this role. They were paid, of course, but it wasn't something where we were gonna send people out there. We said, who wants to do this? And the response was amazing. So we had a number of people Um, Raise their hand and say I want to be a part of this team They got together They came up with safety protocols That were completely and fundamentally different From anything that we'd ever done They even had to come up with new types of activities Taking into account the social emotional well-being Of these young people Who maybe a six-year-old is showing up And the first person meeting you at the curb Is somebody with a mask on Right How do you make that kid feel welcome Without being able to hug him without being able to you know, pat them on the back. And so we came up with all of these new and different ways to make sure that young people were learning, they got to experience happiness, they were able to build bonds in a new way in a new world things that looked very similar to miming specific types of greetings. There was a dance break in the hallway that they would step out and do because we couldn't change class periods. And so everybody would come out at a specific period of time and we would just dance in the hallway for a little bit and then go back in. Right. So they're coming up with all of these different ways. And the feedback that we got was fantastic. The hospitals that were served were Children's Parkland and UT Southwestern. And the partnership with Parkland was fantastic because they provided all of the PPE that we needed for both the children and for our team and staff. Dallas Independent School District, phenomenal partner. They allowed us to use um, their uh, Hernandez Elementary, Montessori, and so they opened up the facilities. They were the ones who brought nurses. They were the ones who brought janitorial and food service. They were fantastic and so what this showed was it was a collaboration that brought out the best in a number of different partners who came together to support the people who were laying it out there on the line for all of us. Uh, and We were so proud to be able to be a part of that, and we've been able to share the learning from what we learned and figured out in doing COVID-19 in-person, socially distanced programming. It was a fantastic opportunity. So proud of everyone who was a part of it, and I know the youth and their families benefited from it as well.
1: Data has always been important to Steve Miff, president and CEO of Parkland Center for Clinical Innovation. But the pandemic has taught him even more about the power of using localized data to improve the quality of care to the communities that need it the most. He said PCCI expanded existing partnerships with Dallas County Health and Human Services and the city of Dallas, but also added relationships with other community-based organizations for further outreach.
4: But the pandemic has certainly changed Things so much, not only for our organization, but for our community, for the country and the, for, the, for the world. So going into it, we knew that in order to really be able to help individuals, we need to understand their situation way beyond the healthcare and really understand those critical things in their life. Uh, because we always say that health actually doesn't begin in our acute care facilities, but it begins where we live, learn, work. Prey. So going into it, we knew that there was something that's important. Um, also, what the pandemic has really accelerated is the need to have information and data be hyper-localized and be able to put those in the hands of those that are directly working with participants with individuals in the community. So we were forced from the beginning to really adapt and be able to bring in data that not only had a very critical uh, healthcare component to it, such as infection rates at the individual level, but also mirror that with information about an individual situation. So being able to do that rapidly also required to have the digital environment to do that. So fortunate uh, that Uh, Several years ago, we invested in a significant uh, digital data environment to be able to bring in that information, protected in a way that's secure, and then combine it and being able to bring it back to the organizations and the individuals that uh, were working with those that are most uh, vulnerable in our community. We also learned very quickly that uh, proximity matters. That was one of the the, the key things that uh, we had to focus on, not only how and what. Data we bring in, but how do we analyze that in a way that 's meaningful uh, at the beginning of the the pandemic, one of the critical triage questions was ask whether somebody traveled to China or to Italy. And based on this response, the uh, frontline healthcare providers would triage individuals and pay more attention to those that were in areas that had uh, infections and had their proximity. Um, however, as soon as the the disease uh, uh, really started to manifest and spread in our own backyard, those questions become re- less relevant, but the meaning behind it was equally important, Meaning. Really, the need to understand if an individual was and is in close proximity with somebody who was infected. So we're able to bring that information together and use machine learning to create an index that uh, categorizes an individual's risk of having contacted COVID based on uh, their footprint, based on their proximity to, to others. So that was something brand new that um, we had to adapt. We had to create. But uh, fortunately, we had the infrastructure in order to be able to do it. It always say that it takes a, a village to do anything meaningful and just like in anything else partnerships uh, are so critical because we each can play our own role based on our core capabilities the good part about it is that we're so well entrenched in the Dallas and North Texas community that we had relationships already uh, established but what the pandemic has done is uh, helped us create new relationships but also expand and deepen the ones they already had for example right from the beginning we expanded the partnership that we have with the Dallas County Health and Human Services with Dr. Wong, with the city, with Dr. Baggett, and with others. That was a critical first step to be able to start to to be able to bring the data together, bring the information to provide to them as they're making some of the critical decisions early in the pandemic. Also, uh, equally, we were forced to, uh, in a good way, expand our relationships with our community based uh, organizations that we've been working on over the over over the years, as the need for individuals the, in, in our community to access the services increased, and as the challenges that the organizations providing services were having—not only with the supply, but with the uh, with the volunteers—we started to work on a daily basis with the community to update the referral directories. They are being used to refer individuals to these uh, to these services. Typically, in the past, we we'll were update those on a quarterly basis. This became a daily activity and required that constant communication and constant uh, uh, information between uh, exchange between ourselves uh, and the community as well Uh, new partnerships uh, that we didn't have as deep before were with schools as the pandemic uh, continued to progress into the early fall and the schools started to uh, to open we started to work more closely with leadership teams at various schools across our County, our city, to be able to start to provide them with information that uh, helps them manage not only how and where the learning needs occur, but also provide information about who is able to do virtual learning versus the families that will be more challenged to be able to do that within their home uh, environments.
0: Steve Miff joining Dallas Business Journal managing editor Rob Schneider. In our next segment, more honorees from the Dallas Business Journal's most inspiring leaders of 2020 when Texas Business Minds continues.
4: I'm Rich Gergasco, President and CEO of Texas Mutual Insurance Company. To everyone who has been hard at work providing the things we need during this crisis, we say thank you. You truly are essential and we're proud to be on the job with you. More at texasmutual.com slash on the job.
0: Continuing our profiles of the Dallas Business Journal's most inspiring leaders of 2020 with managing editor Rob Schneider.
1: As the coronavirus began to spread in North Texas, it quickly became apparent that finding fast, reliable testing impeded employees getting back to work. In many cases, it was taking them several days just to make an appointment and then an additional five to ten to get the results. That's when Addison-based Aerospace Quality Research and Development owner and president Suresh Narayanan decided to find a solution. The company partnered with Tribal Diagnostics to create an in-house testing solution. He talks about how that process came together, as well as how the company pivoted in 2020.
5: COVID was a big shock, especially to my aerospace industry. And one of the biggest challenges we were having February into March was a lot of our employees were having struggles getting in for testing. And so when they would call on their own and try to get their insurance and find a location, it'd be four to five days before they can get tested if they had a concern. And then another about six to seven days to actually get results back. So over 10 days on average for all our employees independently to go get COVID testing. Um, that was a big impact on our business and obviously on their peace of mind. So we took it as a challenge to figure out if I could cut out the middle person so any wellness centers or doctors and go straight to the lab and I used my professional network and started doing some research and I found a lab, built a partnership with them they had never done private industry testing. I said we'll share with you data help you guys maybe grow that side of your business but what I need is faster testing with the lab directly to get our folks confident that things are safe and that they're okay because for 10 days we had folks and families really stressed out about you know, whether they had COVID or not. And this was back in March where, where um, tensions were pretty high. And so we did find this lab and had to deal with them. And we can get tested and results back within 48 hours. And we do the testing in our um, on our facility. So our HR manager has actually trained to do the testing. We keep them on site. A nurse will come over to grab the samples. And by doing that, we consistently still do get tests within 48 hours. And so we, we've extended it to spouses, roommates, whatever we need to do as a business to get people comfortable comfortable and safe to come back to work, and the benefit was now plus 10 days down to two days, we have a lot of our awesome employees back at work quicker, safer, and with peace of mind. We were having an awesome growth here, like everyone, during COVID. Our business was booming and booming, and then March hit, and then um, you know aviation was rocked. The good thing about our business was, and we, we set this up about three, four years ago, we diversified our business by doing a good split of military business jet support as well as um, airline support. But we dwarfed the airline support because I saw the market as being saturated for what we do on the engineering and MRO side. And so the good thing was our business was 7% airline aligned, and then the rest was split between business jet and military military. Uh, during COVID, when it hit, military was unaffected for us, which was awesome. One less thing to worry about. The business jet market took a small hit, but is already now back to normal. We knew that people with COVID would prefer to fly private. So it was interesting to see how much uh, people use corporate jets to get around for whatever purpose. And so that market stayed pretty consistent. And then on the uh, airline side, that went to zero, but is already back to where it was six, 7% of our entire business. So small part. So we weren't impacted much, but some things we did to stay ahead of having any sales troubles was that we basically, um, we usually are hyper focused on exactly what our products are in terms of engineering, component repairs, um, focus on military and business jet. And I I basically went to the entire team and said, sales are sales. Um, I opened up the box and people would bring the coolest ideas to us. And we had a COVID board, which was COVID related sales in our industry from certifying dividers that go on an airplane to certifying chemicals that would fight COVID. We got into all kinds of weird projects just to drive sales that we normally wouldn't get into. And our team brought a lot of those ideas to us. And so our COVID project board filled up and it kept us really busy. And and actually, it caused us to grow past our projected numbers pre-COVID every month. So we kept up with our expected business numbers because we stopped being hyper-focused during COVID and said, sales are sales in our world. Let's try to do things we normally wouldn't do. And so that was an an awesome, awesome thing that our team did and brought to the table. It was one of the biggest reasons we committed to our team um, by telling them no layoffs and no pay cuts, and a lot of that was the fact that we just stuck to our sales goals and we actually hit them.
1: CEO Thomas Holland said Grapevine-based Apex Surface Care, a national specialty surface clear cleaner, pivoted to the infection control business in 2008, so the company didn't so much pivot during COVID as it scaled up. He said in the past, most companies paying for cleaning were doing so for appearances and budget, but the pandemic has really changed the definition of clean in 2020.
6: Yeah, so we've actually been in infection control since 2008. Our company is about 23 years old. Back in 2008, we got into that business as we had some clients that were having uh, a lot of flu, influenza in their uh, facilities. And so we did some research. Uh, We were one of the first companies actually to bring electrostatic sprayers into the Texas market for the application of disinfectants so it wasn't really much of a pivot as it was a scaling up no one uh, who's been in that business uh, for 10 or 20 or 30 years uh, has seen uh, this level of, of interest uh, in that side of the business so it was uh, it was pretty easy for us to respond uh, but a monumental scaling up effort to make sure that we were taking care of our customers I'd probably say the first thing was really how unprepared everyone was, to respond to something of this magnitude. Entire supply chains just simply couldn't keep up. There's also, unfortunately, been a lot of profiteers that have come out of the woodwork, uh, taking advantage of people and companies. But on the other hand, there's also been a lot of great things uh, happening and a lot of great companies trying to do the right thing, too. I'd say in our industry, until COVID, most customers were cleaning based on appearances and budget so if it looked good that was pretty much good enough for them unfortunately a lot of cleaning processes specifically for carpet for example in commercial spaces it may look good on top but it really doesn't do much cleaning below Um, janitorial companies are notorious for not vacuuming and so it just it was all appearance based Uh, now today the good side is uh, is that it's all health-based so Companies are now trying to clean for health, which is a really a different approach. requires much more specific uh, specifications for cleaning RFPs, much more specific processes. And I think there's just a heightened awareness for what they're actually paying for now. For more on the
0: most inspiring leaders of 2020, visit DallasBusinessJournal.com. Thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Texas Business Journals. And brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas.